tell yourself what you're trying to stay in and, and what you think is going to be better. And if you can convince yourself that it's going to get better, then stay in. But if you truly deep down, if you're talking to yourself or looking in a mirror, and if you're trying to convince yourself that something shitty is going to get better, it's not going to get better. You're listening to Create Community. I'm your host, Marsha Drucker. On this podcast, we're exploring the human side of community. I'm chatting with some amazing community builders to define what community truly means. Joining me today is Jeff McIntyre. Jeff is a connector, a fellow Fuck Up Nights leader, and one of my good friends and mentors. Many years in business development have allowed Jeff to create a model that allows him to enjoy what he does every day. He learned that business is built around solid relationships, the value of giving back to the community, and how rewarding it can be. Our conversation takes us from Jeff's unique wedding to Fuck Up Nights and how we're thinking about the future of events, how to build your network as an introvert, how to leave communities in situations that are no longer serving you, and so much more. So let's jump right into it. Hey, Jeff, welcome to Create Community. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to finally chat with you. I feel like this interview was a long time coming, but I'm so excited to dig a little bit deeper into your journey and learn how you actually became a community builder and all the cool things that you're up to. So I want to start in a, in a pretty unique place. We usually, with Create Community, we kind of go back to folks' childhoods or, or high school days to learn how they kind of became a community builder. But with your journey, I think a really interesting point to start is your wedding. So you had a really unique wedding in downtown Kitchener, Waterloo, uh, which is the community that you're a part of. Can you share a little bit about how this came about and just describe the day a little bit? Certainly. Thank you. It, it was unique. I don't. I, I tell people about it to this day and they're going, really? So I live in this incredible community, Kitchener-Waterloo, Waterloo region. And we have a number of festivals pre-COVID where uh, we were we were always excited about getting people together for doing various things. And there's a, a local um, event called Summer Lights. And it celebrates the uh, summer solstice. And it's, it's kind of an arts meets, you know, entertainment meets community building. And uh, the visionary behind it wanted to, had this vision to have a public wedding. I guess all weddings are public, but her intent was to, you know, hearken back to, you know, small town Europe or wherever, where a husband and wife would get married in front of the community and be walked through the streets and celebrated as uh, kind of this show of love. So they had an open call for community people that would be interested in getting married. My partner and I, Lisa, have been together for had been together for eleven or twelve years at that point, and uh, we had talked about things about getting married, and we weren't. So I applied to the uh, the uh, event as a potential couple without telling Lisa. And we were away in Mexico, and I got a call saying they'd like to interview us when we got back. And I had to tell her what I had done was put her name forward for this uh, public event. This is Lisa's biggest fear in life is standing on a stage. And uh, it, it went, it, it was really interesting. It was very well. We chose 902 to get married in the evening in the middle of the celebration. There were four or 5,000 people on the street downtown Kitchener. And we literally stood up in front of everyone and were, uh, were married in front of this large crowd and sparklers. And it was just, a, it was such a unique experience too. And the cool part about the whole process was I could invite everybody because I didn't have to pay for drinks or food for them. It was a, uh, it was, it was literally, I had people showing up that I've known from, from high school, from 
friendships from work. I look out in the crowd and there they were. So it was, it was, it was fantastic. Scary as hell, but fantastic. <laughs> I love that story so much. I, you know, whenever I bring somebody on to the Fuck Up Nights team, I always, of course, do a little bit of background research on them and just like see what I can find about them on just like social media and just online. And I remember that article about your wedding being one of the first things that I saw about you. And I just loved it. I was like, this guy is awesome. Need to find a way to work with him. <laughs> The uh, CBC we were chosen on Valentine's Day. The wedding was in June, but they they made a, a celebrate, you know, the announcement on Valentine's Day with uh, CBC KW, and the of course uh, CBC being the journalistic diggers that they are, the the high headline was they're not even engaged yet, but they're getting married. So so tell me a little bit, how did you actually convince Lisa to do it? Like, how did you um, kind of like propose, I guess, to to do this wedding? Uh, Lisa and I have a great relationship in the sense that we it, it works really well in the sense that I just lead and, and offer to do things. And, and I'm not saying she's a follower, but uh, she she kind of trusts me to to run with things. And it was interesting for her. She ended up getting a tattoo with the coordinates of where we got married um, on a on a on a globe, because for her, it was a moment in time where she reached above her her fear of public and her you know fear of whatever. And, and that was her moment. So as much as it was a moment for both of us, it was a real power moment for her. So I think challenging her a little bit to to be a little uh, vulnerable and do something unique ended up being a really positive uh, experience for her. And ultimately, she tattooed, again, the coordinates of the exact location where we got married to say, this was my moment. This was this is when I did something way out of my comfort zone and I crushed it. That's so fun. I love that. So you got married in the super public setting, kind of in the spotlight. Were you always somebody who, you know, felt comfortable with something like that? What were you like growing up? Like, what were you like in high school? I, I am so not. It's funny, I was kind of preparing for this, and I've, I've done a lot of, obviously, this year, we've, we've had a lot of time to, you know, look back and, and do it. I didn't know myself in high school at all. And I was, and it really took me a long time to figure out who I am was. I was a very nervous individual. I was, you know, I was, I jokingly say I was like that sweaty young boy that really didn't uh, have an identity. And I'm the first to put myself down. But it, but it, it, it was interesting to, to, to realize how conflicted and how, how uncomfortable I was with myself back then. Not, not that, you know, it wasn't depression or anxiety. Maybe it was a bit of anxiety, but it was just, it, I just really didn't know who I was. And I, I would move on from groups of friends for various reasons. And I, I would say I was kind of a mile wide and inch deep. And then I realized that, and I was very introverted, didn't want to admit it. And in fact, I, I am more so than ever. I'm realizing that I am an introvert. I say I publicly declared. I used to couch it and say I was an ambivert, but I'm uh, I'm a, I'm a pure intro, introvert. And I think in hindsight, if I would have embraced that a little bit, I would might have been a little less conflicted, a little less nervous, and just embraced uh, everything. So I, I I did nothing outstanding. I just existed. I was the the back in the wall. I was in the back uh, back room and uh, just kind of trying to figure out my rhythm and trying to figure out who I was. That's really interesting. I think you know a lot of people are kind of surprised. I think even like with this podcast, a lot of the guests who, you know, are really like connectors in their in their day-to-day lives or community builders have massive communities. You see them on stage or, you know, just like always like surrounded by people. They they admit that they're actually really introverted in their in their downtime and, you know, when they're when they're away from from that spotlight. So you're definitely not the only one. And I think everybody kind of struggles with that. We need to really embrace it more. There's a book that I just ordered and haven't read it 
yet, but it, the, it spoke to me from my from uh, one of my mentors in life said, you know, you've got to read this book. And basically, the book is called Quiet, The Power of Introverts in a World That Can't Stop Talk. And it's funny because I can come across as being very outgoing, and I am, but I'm not comfortable in that role sometimes. So I, I can't tell a joke. I, you know, there's certain people that are, can tell jokes. I can't tell a joke. It, I don't even try because I just doesn't work for me. It's not my personality. I can, I can be quick witted, but usually I kind of interject and then I'll, uh, I'll step back. But I think embracing the fact that uh, the power of introvert, introvert, and I do get frustrated when people ramble sometimes. And I, but I, but I get it. I'm, I want to know them and I let them talk because I think it's way mainly important to let learn and let other people talk than it is to listen to what I have to say. So I've, uh, I've embraced it. I'm I'm proud of this. That's awesome. Yeah, that's that's actually that's a really great book. There's also a TED talk um, by the author. I think it's it's called the same thing as the book or something similar. Really, really recommend watching it. So, what did you end up studying, and how did you start your career? So, I took a non-traditional role, and I love telling my children about this. That I went to. Uh, high school, graduated high school, and I, I wasn't prepared to, to move on to university at the time. I wasn't a very good student because I just kind of was, again, I didn't know myself and I didn't know what I wanted to be. So therefore, I thought, how can I, uh, how can I drive this process? My goal in life was to be a firefighter. My dad was a captain in the Kitchener Fire Department, but there was nepotism rules back then, which didn't allow family members to, uh, to join the force. And then I, I love seeing those. If you could have had one career, what would you have done? It probably would have been a firefighter. But I, uh, Worked for five years after high school, and I just literally decided one day I had friends that were professionals, doctors, lawyers, you know, executives, you know, doing well. And I thought, I don't like, I don't like the life that I've got right now, so I'm going to redefine it. So I overnight uh, went into my employer and said, I'm going to uh, go back to university. I, I enrolled at Wilfrid Laurier University as a mature student without any, without telling anybody. Got my, you know, minimum number of credits to get acceptance and uh, just went wholeheartedly into university. And the intent was, I want to be a lawyer. And because uh, I think that was just a safe thing and sounded impressive. And when I got into school, I realized I wanted to get my diploma, but I didn't want to be a lawyer. I didn't see uh, the navigating that long of a process of, of being something that would have uh, been beneficial for me. And and details are, I, I just think of the details, the amount of working contracts, and my head would blow up. So I said, I made the decision to just get my degree and get on with my life. Nice. I feel like that's a smart decision. I don't have one regret about this whole thing. It's just, uh, it was just check it off, get the paper um, and move on. I definitely cannot see you being a lawyer. So definitely a good call there. I think I could be like a rainmaker for a law firm that uses my network and uses my sparkling personality to, uh, to open up doors to create trusts. I certainly wouldn't want to do the details. And I, and you know, from working with me that I delegate and dictate and assist, sorry, people to, to, to execute things. So thank you for acknowledging my incompetence. <laughs> no, I think it's, it's, the, it's quite the opposite of that. It's competence. I think a lot of people really struggle with that, especially I think in the community field, a lot of people kind of have mentioned that they struggle with delegating and they try to do it all themselves and they burn out. And that's, that's not how you build a community. I, I definitely struggle with that. And that's, I've definitely learned that the hard way. So yeah, really admire the way that you're able to delegate. So, okay, so you graduated, that program got your minimum number of credits. Tell me about how you kind of like progressed in your career after that. I know you you landed a role that you thought was your dream job. So yeah, I, uh, like all good careers, I met a guy in a bar stool up in Port Elgin, Ontario, and 
we became instant best friends over a number of beers. It, it was a it was a relative of someone that I knew, and and uh, at the end of the conversation was, I'm going to come and work for you someday, and he's going, you're going to come and work for me someday, and we you know we left, and I thought I'd never hear from that situation again, but it, it did resonate in my mind, and it was in pharmaceutical sales. So I finished my degree, I did my last semester at Queens, I came back to Waterloo. And I uh, called him up. I said, I'm graduating. I'm ready to start that job. Remember that discussion we had in uh, at the Arlington Hotel in Port Elkin? And he said, you're not going to believe this. He said, but my rep in Waterloo just accepted a position at head office in Toronto. And I'm going to have a vacancy in six weeks from my uh, in this territory. So I said, okay, let's do this. So I went, remember going through the Myers-Briggs personality test and having discussions and stuff like that and uh, got the job. And at the time, it was just the most amazing thing in my life. I was, you know, young, professional, wearing a suit, got a company car. I spent the first couple of weeks of my career out at the Banff Springs Hotel for national sales meeting, training and, you know, expense accounts. And it was just, it was really surreal. And I always thought, wow, if I can't be a doctor or a lawyer, I could certainly be doctor adjacent and be in the pharmaceutical industry work with them. So I was really delighted with the people that I was around and really delighted with the uh, with the role that I had. And it was, uh, again, on paper and optically from the front end, it looked like I got it. I had nailed it. I think so many young graduates kind of go through a similar experience. You know, you you really just like want to look grown up and you you want to have that feeling and, you know, be all independent and, you know, have this job that, that looks really great on the outside and seems impressive. What was it like? So, you know, after the the shininess of it kind of wore off, when did you realize that it, it really, you know, wasn't for you? So I go back to my... Uh... I think I'm a conflicted individual and whether it's empathy or, or, you know, introversion or, or just reflectiveness. I remember from the outside and back, back to what you said, the young professional, it was all great. I was doing everything. And I started to realize that I was, you know, I, I jokingly say in every discussion I'm ever on, I'm the, I'm the least intelligent of all three. And in this conversation right now, I'm the third smartest person on the call. I started to realize that I was trying to impress people that have forgotten more about, you know, the products that I was using. And I was really struggling with my intelligence at the time and understanding that I didn't really know what I was doing. And I wasn't confident enough to convince or talk to doctors about the values of this particular medication or treatment, whatever. And I started um, questioning my ability to execute it. I, I was fortunate that I was in a territory where the sales were really good. The sales were very strong as, as it relates to market share. And because I could fake my my uh, confidence and fake my ability to make it look like it was going well, I started to get more and more conflicted on the inside. And I ended up spending more time canceling appointments and finding days, reasons not to go to work that day, because it was all self-regulated. You know, you work from home, you, you were part of a team, but basically it was up to you to do the activities and do the things that were required to execute the uh, execute the position. And I started seeing some patterns and ultimately some market share numbers that became alarming. And I and I just really I questioned my ability to execute. And I uh, I didn't know what to do other than maybe move on. And it was interesting that uh, I resigned and my boss, who became one of my greatest friends and, and mentors in life, wouldn't accept my resignation which to this day was, uh, was a great experience. And, and his comment to me was, I'm sorry. He apologized to me for allowing me to wander aimlessly under the assumption that, and he was benchmarking me against others and said, I've got way more problem children than you. I thought you had it all going on. You know, you're confident, you're, you know, you're outgoing, you're extroverted, wrong. And uh, you're, uh, you're pulling this off. Your, your numbers are a little bit of a concern. But we'll turn that around. And he basically apologized for being negligent. 
to assist me through this whole process. So we we tore up the uh, the resignation and realized that uh, I needed coaching and I needed mentoring and I needed um, some tools to give me the confidence to um, to succeed. And it was a it was a it was an incredible. I I remember vividly sitting across from him, you know, going, "This is it, Jeff. This is the uh, the best opportunity you're ever going to have, and you're gonna you're gonna f this up." And you're going to quit and you're going to move on. It's just going to be another part of your journey that's uh, unnavigated and wandering and floating. And it was uh, it was a tough, tough call. For sure. I mean, I think like looking back at some of those like early career experiences, they at the time, they they seem to hold so much weight. And, you know, you think that this is going to be like the defining moment of my life. And, you know, you get a little bit further in your career and, you know, those first couple of jobs really don't matter that much. They're sort of, you know, they're just experiments and they're ways for you to figure out what you're actually good at and what you want out of your career. But being in that moment, I, I remember how heavy it could feel. So what was like after you completed that opportunity, how has your philosophy philosophy about work and your career change? Like what kind of opportunities grab your attention and keep you interested these days? Yeah, good question. So I interesting after that episode where I, you know, chose to resign and it wasn't accepted, I I ended up being very successful. And the impetus for that was through my mentor to understand that uh, I didn't need to talk. And maybe this goes back to my introversion, you know, the power of introverts in a world that can't stop talking. I thought that Talking was a sign of intelligence. And I thought that um, if I could talk and talk and talk, people would understand more and more and more. And ultimately, they would be a uh, they'd become an ally and they would move through. And I realized and uh, again, I have so many mentors that have gifted me intelligence and structure and process and been you know quite hard on me throughout the years. One of my mentors said, uh, you know, Jeff, stop talking. I've never learned anything from hearing myself talk. And I'll never forget that moment saying, okay, that makes sense. So then I moved into solution mode and, and being empathetic for the person sitting across from me, whether it was a doctor, other careers that I would move through. And I realized that I'm a much better business development salesperson when I talk less, listen more, learn more, and then empathize and execute. So from that, I was able to move on to uh, various roles and you know, I think like every young person, I, I had aspirations to be the president and CEO of a company. And when I was 35, I became uh, the president. I left the pharmaceutical industry. To, to be honest, it got so easy that I was going, I was so bored. And I thought, this is where I want to be when I'm 50, not when I'm 30, 35. So I, I again, I challenged, I began with this confidence of knowing that if I ask questions and listen and learn, I could be successful. So I went into an, uh, kind of an adjacent industry. I became president of a company. I remember looking at my business card, sitting up, you know, putting my feet up on the desk going, 35 years old, I made it. I'm president. I'm CEO. I'm, I'm everything I've ever wanted to be. And six months later, I resigned as president of the company. And I said, I don't want to be the president. I don't want to, I want to be in business development. I want to be in sales. I can do more for this organization, driving revenue, finding customers, being a, you know, helping organizations achieve your their objectives than I can worrying about attendance policies or what type of coffee we're going to have. So it just, I, I, it was a, it was another moment where I just realized I'm good. This is what I'm good at. And this is what I suck at. And uh, I chose to move on. I always look for opportunities now that, and as I'm getting a little bit older, I might've spent a lot of time on things that may or may not have had potential in the past. Now I'm looking for the thing, the opportunities now that allow me to take what I know and how I work well and um, 
hit it big. And by big, it doesn't mean, you know, bazillions of dollars. It's just something that's going to allow me to live the lifestyle that I want to do for the rest of my life, be calm, be peaceful, not worry or fret about certain things. And, uh, and then go back to doing exactly what I'm doing, which is building out my community and helping anybody I possibly can to achieve their goals. That's so awesome. I admire that so much. I think it takes so much self-awareness and just really like being able to redefine what success means to you on an individual level to kind of like give up those types of titles to just like go after what you're actually good at. So that's really incredible. So I want to jump into Fuck Up Nights. Tell me a little bit about what sort of like drew you to this community. What made you go to your first Fuck Up Nights event and what kind of drove you to to take it to the next uh, level and get involved? Well, thank you for that. Somehow I got on a mailing list, whether it was a social post or something like that. Maybe it wasn't even a mailing list, but I saw this event in Waterloo, I don't know how many years ago now, three years ago, and it was called Fuck Up Nights. And it said, buy now. And I bought them. It didn't, ma- it didn't matter what was happening at that event. It was simply, this speaks to me. I love it. I get uh, periodically, I get people to, you know, I like swearing. Swearing's great. I know, Marcia, you're, you know, you feel the same way. So I uh, I just think it's such a powerful opportunity. But I read, read about Fuck Up Nights and it's, an, you know, when it was about an evening of sharing failures. I did know a few of the speakers that were speaking at the first one, but I went there and I literally sat there mesmerized. And I think of the first speaker that, that uh, first or second speaker that talked, sorry, he talked about a, a, a moment when he was making a difficult decision to maybe even end his life as a result of, of where, you know, where things were in a business model and, and how he was able to stop and turn himself around and, uh, and redefine himself. And, and the vulnerability that this individual shared and these, those, all those speakers shared really resonated to me. And I remember walking up to you saying, this was amazing. I don't know exactly what just happened to me, but to me, this was a big, big deal to be in a room that was so therapeutic. I'm not one for hero worship. I don't believe in Oprah calling things out to the universe. I believe in uh, sometimes you have to fuck things up, learn from it and move on. So it just spoke to me. So I immediately, the next event that came in, I, I got tickets again. And I remember coming up to you again saying, Marsh, I love this. And I, I remember saying to you, is there anything I can do to help you with this? I think it's fantastic. It was It's on brand for me. It was on brand for, I think, in our community. Because Waterloo can be an interesting place where we all, we all seem to be doing so well that periodically it's it's not, you know, when you peel it back, it's not as good as it uh, it appears sometimes. So it just spoke to me. And uh, I think after the third time, I just said, what can we do? And I remember when you said, Jeff, you know, you're busy in Toronto, you're running your events, which are fantastic. You know, you've got a a network in this community, you're committed to it. And when you, you know, you gave me the opportunity to be the uh, community coordinator, you know, the chief fuck up in Waterloo region, I just jumped, I just jumped at it and said, this is a gift um, from for myself and back to our community. And uh, I don't think we've looked back since. No, definitely not. It's yeah, it's been such an incredible journey. I feel like it was almost like meant to be. So it really worked out. And it's funny, like hearing your experience, kind of like attending that first event and going out to it since then. It's like same thing for me. And I've, I think I've, I've shared this with you. And also I've had Leora on this podcast as well, who's the organizer of uh, Fuck Up Nights Israel. And it was her event that I went to for the first time and had that exact same experience as you. You know, it came up, it popped up on my Facebook. I saw fuck up nights. 
roommates and same thing. I was like, I don't know what this is, but I I need to go. This speaks to me. And like sitting there in the audience and just like seeing these like mega successful people just like completely peel off the layers and then share their biggest professional failures. It was just so eye-opening and so, so different. So fast forward, you know, you attended um, the first event and now here you are leading this community. We handed over the reins, I think um, maybe a year or so before COVID hit or not not even a few months before. So you were able to have like a, an incredible in-person event where, you know, the community, I feel like finally reached the potential that it could in Kitchener-Waterloo that, you know, could not have happened just with me running it. So that was incredible. And you were gearing up for uh, your next in-person event and COVID hit. So tell me what that felt like and, and how you were sort of thinking about the situation. Yeah, that was a time I don't think we'll ever forget. But the interesting thing is I've been at your events in Toronto and I, you know, I love coming down because again, anytime I can listen to to people share, I've watched a bunch of videos. We created a unique audience, I think, in Waterloo and Waterloo is very unique. And maybe it's me being a little bit older. I don't know exactly what it is or the diversity of my network. But one thing that I took pride in was um, taking your baby and opening it up to the community and the diversification of the, the people in the audience. It was going to happen regardless, but maybe I gave it a little bit of a push or a little bit of impetus. But I love looking around, seeing young tech people, weathered or seasoned business people, retirees, all in the room sharing this. And to me, that was so powerful that it wasn't a tech event and it wasn't just a millennial event and it wasn't a pure, a pure networking event. It was a combination of all of those, which was fantastic. So March 12th, we had 250 tickets. You were at the one event in January, I believe, or December. It was fantastic. It, we found the right home for it. You know, we had the right partners. We had the right messaging and the right speakers. March 12th, we were gearing up for another big event. And I remember you and I having a number of discussions because you had an event that evening as well, I believe. On the yeah, 12th. I had. We were supposed to have our three-year anniversary event, which is like we always go big for the anniversaries in Toronto. That was that was a really, really difficult decision to, to have to, to cancel it. And I, I remember being in real anguish about I didn't know what was exactly happening with uh, with COVID. It was starting to gain some momentum. They had just recently, I think a day or two prior to that, started referring to it as a global pandemic. And and I and I really struggled with I wasn't doing this to to make money. I wasn't losing money, but my my wasn't a it was a gift back to the community. And I just kept thinking, if I do this and something happens, I don't know if I could ever live with myself. So I, I remember having discussions with you and and at uh, about four o'clock on uh, the eleventh, the day before, I pulled the pin on it and said, I, I canceled this. And I remember sending it and feeling very relieved and feeling like I made the right choice. And I just think it was that great unknown that we didn't know exactly what was going to happen. But I didn't think it was right to have 250 people in a room, even though there weren't any guidelines or rules yet. I think we knew it was coming. And I don't know if I could live with myself being at a at an event. Yeah, it was. It's so weird looking back at that whole situation. Like I remember feeling so conflicted in the moment. And like you said, there was no guidelines. There was nothing saying that you can't have that number of people together. At the time, it was like massive international conferences that were being canceled with like tens of tens of thousands of people traveling to one place. But there was nothing, you know, about an event with like, you know, two to 500 people. But looking back, like it was like without a shadow of a doubt, the right decision. But I remember how difficult that was in that moment. 
I remember you eating a whole bunch of cake and I ended up having 250 cookies made up, fuck up night cookies. I ate cookies for a good chunk of the pandemic as a result. As a result of this. <laughs> Amazing. Okay, so fast forward, I feel like we made that decision, cancel our events. You know, in the summer, um, some restrictions started loosening up a little bit, especially in Kitchener-Waterloo, you know, being a smaller community, smaller, smaller city. Tell me about the event that you threw. I think it was called Fresh Air and Fuck Ups. How did you come up with this and how did you bring the idea to reality? It was awesome. And the reason I say that is it, I had one goal. We where my office is and where we had our other events is a big, uh, big office complex in in all one floor in, in Waterloo region called Catalyst 137. And interestingly enough, we're about 500 meters from our hospital and they set up a COVID testing center in the parking lot of of uh, Catalyst of our office place. And I, I said, OK, let's let's figure out what we can do here. We knew we could only have 100 people. Those were the rules. I was still nervous about it, to be honest. I was so happy when that event was over. But I did it. <laughs> I think I shared with you. All I wanted to do was have an event with 100 people sitting in chalk circles that are, you know, six feet wide with one chair in each of them. And I had great speakers and I had, you know, we had the traditional thing. We didn't have the networking. Obviously, you came in, you sat down. We were we had masks, we had hand sanitizer. I believe it was in June or July doesn't matter, maybe August. Um, but all I wanted to do it was to get a drone shot of 100 people sitting in circles with a COVID testing center in the background. And it was mission accomplished. It was the coolest, coolest thing. I just wanted it to all happen. It was, it was everything just lined up perfectly for that particular visual to happen. And interesting enough, if you're on Fuck Up Night's global pages or look at their videos, that picture has become part of uh, a lot of people's narrative on what what events looked like in COVID. So it was awesome. It was so good. I still get chills thinking about that moment when I looked around and said, we did it. We kept people safe. We were not a super spreader event. We had, you know, distancing. We had beer and popcorn sitting in a, you know, in a round circle. And hopefully we never need to do that again. But it just worked. It was so cool. I'm going to include that picture in the show notes. I feel like people have to see it. And yeah, it's become sort of like the poster child of, of Fuck Up Nights. I've shown it a couple of times at uh, some of my bevy events as well. And I think it just shows like, you know, everybody's trying to figure out like, what is the future of the events industry? And it's like, this is the events industry, you know, just like innovating and then doing what we can with than the guidelines that are out there, whether it's, you know, creating this type of in-person experience, trying to do something hybrid or, you know, keeping it virtual. Everybody's innovating and experimenting right now. And I was terrified. I was, I literally uh, was anxious about people interacting. I was worried about, you know, the region coming. We kept, I, it was a hundred people allowed. I sold 80 tickets. You know, I just, I was so cognizant and so cautious of being connected to somebody getting COVID that until it was over, I'll tell you that, that beer when it was over was one of the best beers I've ever had. That was that was such a cool event and so inspiring. And I think I don't really see that working in, a, in you know, in a, in a lot of other places. Like I feel like Kitchener Waterloo was just like the perfect place to try something like that, you know, just given how like tight knit the community is and how respectful people are. How are you sort of thinking about the future of events? Like what's coming up next, do you think, for, for Fuck Up Nights in Kitchener-Waterloo? And, you know, what are some cool things that you've been seeing um, other communities do? I, I struggle with this right now because to me, and I've shared this with you, Fuck Up Nights, it, the ideal Fuck Up Night is, I don't care if it's 100 or 250 or 300 people coming in, networking, having a beer, having a slice of pizza, 
sitting down, listening to good stories, get back up, network. Like it's just such a great recipe for success. Some people leave right after, some people stick around and, and they connect and network and they share. Um, I've instructed some events that were online, like ask me anything type things. And I did, uh, I did partner with the University of Waterloo for their undergrads where they wanted to, you know, frosh events for both the fall and winter semester. They're trying to get people connected and engaged. And to me, as an introvert, you'd think I would appreciate this, but as my ambivert, you know, my with uh, with the ability to have the my external uh, extrovert uh, tendencies come somewhat coming out periodically, I really struggled with the the lack of connecting that was happening, and I was and I'm really struggling to be honest to not just be a, a, a virtual event. So I don't know what I'm going to do if things open up again. I might do another parking lot event. It won't be the same because there's no COVID test in you know COVID testing center in the back, but I will tell you there is an appetite and there are people that still talk about that event saying that was the only event I was at in 2020. That was the only time I saw, you know, I shared a beer and, and you know, kept my distance. But so there's a hunger for it. I just don't know what the rules are going to be. And I'm trying not to bend them because I am a rule follower. Uh, but at the same, and I don't want to have event keep the brand alive. If in fact, my feeling is the brand requires that that the big congregation of people, I will still keep it alive. And I will still do what needs to be done. But I'm really craving uh, something on the outside where we can, uh, where we can coordinate a bunch of people together again, whatever that looks like. I don't know how you feel about that. I think we're very much in the same boat. I've I've also tried a lot of different virtual things uh, for our community in Toronto, piloting that um, fireside ask me anything format, which is like for folks listening, like fuck up nights. Um, our regular format is uh, 10 minutes, 10 images, and usually like three or four speakers per event. Uh, with this like fireside format, we would just focus in on one speaker um, and really like take a deeper dive into their favorite and lessons learned and, you know, give the opportunity um, to folks in the audience and the virtual audience to to ask um, their questions kind of throughout. So it was really cool. Like, I feel like, you know, the content was really interesting. We we're getting like fantastic speakers. They were sharing their failures. You know, the audience was kind of in, like engaging, asking really great questions, but I, I just did not feel that same sense of community. Just like you, I feel like it's not really true to the brand. Like it's staying alive and that, you know, we're getting people talking about failure, which is what we want to do, but we are losing that that magic sort of feeling that people experience, you know, going to their first fuck up night event and just like seeing the emotion of the speakers, seeing the other people in the audience really react to it and, you know, being able to connect with others on that really personal level. So it's tough. Like we've tried, you know, a lot of those virtual events. We tried um, a clubhouse format and they're all fun and they, you know, they do resonate with people. But just like knowing what the what the Fuck Up Nights brand is actually capable of and what our in-person community looked like, it's you you can't really compare the two things. So I'm, I'm also really hoping to be able to do something at least like intimate in person in the near future, hopefully but very hard to plan these days. So I want to get some of your advice for listeners. Um, we, we chatted about this throughout that, you know, you're, you're really an introvert deep down, but you're, you're such a connector and, you know, you've been able to really build an incredible community and network for yourself. So I'm wondering if you have any advice for listeners um, who are kind of in the same boat, who are also pretty introverted, how can they go about, you know, like redefining how they think about that and how they build their networks? It's interesting. Again, I'm, I'm a work in progress. And I'm and I'm realizing what I do well and what I don't do well. And one of the things that I've, and I've I've heard this from the outside where people will say to me, "You really seem to give a shit about what 
that person is talking about. And and it's in and I and I was I said, well, of course I do, but I don't think that's obvious to a lot of people. And I I can literally listen to people talk about whatever they're passionate about. And I don't care if it's NASCAR or hunting or you know prospecting or fitness or Peloton. I just love listening what what lights people up. And I truly, truly want to get to know people. And I think as an introvert, if you're open to listening and learning and watching the enthusiasm and, and giving that person across from you the time and the, the recognition and the, really the honor of letting them unpack what's important to them, your stock goes up very quickly. And I think that people will always that come, you know, they may not remember exactly what you do for them, but they'll remember how you how they made you feel. I think I, I can put myself in that category that I, I truly care about what's important to other people. And I'm a very good listener. And I think that that's the key. And as an introvert, being a good listener means you don't have to talk. And therefore, you're, it's just a recipe for success. Yeah. I love that. That's great advice. Just like give a shit and listen and just give a shit. And it sounds so funny for people that are that don't that struggle with uh, with caring about what's important to other people. They, they like it. Look at me sometimes like your ability to listen to bullshit. I said, it's not it's important to them. And uh, I see it as a gift. It really is a gift. I love that. So another piece of advice that I wanted to get from you is, you know, for folks that are maybe struggling to leave a situation or a job or a community that's no longer serving them, I feel like you've sort of become an expert at, at this over the years. Can you share any advice about that? Like how, like, how do you like first recognize when something isn't working for you? And then how do you kind of extract yourself from, from the situation in a way that's, you know, uh, like respectful and, and graceful? Grace is a tough word on this one. <laughs> First of all, COVID has given us the cover to get out of anything going forward, which is like if people aren't capitalizing on whether they have a shitty business or they're in a shitty relationship or they have friends that they didn't want to see, if they haven't embraced the power of, of a pandemic, they're, they're fucking up. <laughs> like th this is this is the ultimate cover. This is it. This is the do an inventory of everything that goes on in your life and time to tap. But I, I use it. I, I mentor a number of people and and I find mentor mentees versus, you know, I get a lot of people say, Hey, can I pick your brain? Can I do this? Can I do that? And I'm I'm starting to realize that I don't have enough capacity in a lot of cases. So therefore I'm getting much better at saying no. But the second piece is how do I leave a situation, job, community, whatever is I, I use a tool or a trick and I wish I literally had a physical mirror, but I, I I always hold my hand up as tell the tell yourself what you're trying to commit to. To saving or what or tell yourself what you're trying to stay in and, and what you think is going to be better. And if you can convince yourself that it's going to get better, then stay in. But if you truly deep down, if you're talking to yourself or looking in a mirror, and if you're trying to convince yourself that something shitty is going to get better, it's not going to get better. And maybe that's the wisdom of my ages. So the it's it literally look in the mirror and try and convince that person that this relationship or this occupation or this management structure or whatever it's going to be is going to be great. If you don't believe it, tap. Great advice. It's so important. We actually, um, reminds me at, at Fuck Up Nights in Toronto, we had one of our speakers kind of theme her whole talk around like basically this premise and like how to learn to say no. Like she really considered herself um, a serial overcommitter. And she shared a really cool framework around kind of like rating opportunities or situations and taking out the seven in that scale. So if it's not an eight or a nine, then it's a no. She told it in such a great way. I'll, I'll link that as well. It's so true that it's just, it's not going to get better in most cases and fighting to keep it working. It's, and it's funny, I'm the master of not making plans. 
So if people say to me, hey, we should get together, I go, that sounds great, but I, I'll just check my schedule. My wife will always say, you're so good at saying no without hurting anybody's feelings because I don't want to. But I'm also at the point where I'm saying, no, I'm not interested. <laughs> it's not going to happen. And I, and I feel it's very liberating to say, no, I don't want to do that. It's, uh, I feel good. I, hey, call me an asshole, but it works. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. It probably really throws some people off. But at the end of the day, like the truth is so liberating. So I want to jump into your personal community. I think it's so fascinating how people who are, you know, navigating the world of community and building their own communities kind of like look at their personal community. So I want to kind of chat about Kitchener Waterloo a little bit more. Uh, we touched on it throughout, but can you share a little bit more about what makes this um, region so special to you and why you continue to choose to build your life there? I mean, I, I do question myself periodically going, is this where I should be? Um, I, I, I'd like to, I used to, I lived in Whitby for a while on the lake and it was nice. I mean, there's no views here. It's just there. It's just people, it's businesses. COVID fucked a lot of that up. You know, the, the things that made it important were, you know, strategically where I live, I, I walk everywhere. I can be uptown, downtown, midtown at the university at Waterloo Park at Kitchener, um, at Victoria Park. But there's something about this area, David Johnson, the former, um, governor general, talked about it or wrote about it and saying there's something in the water in Waterloo. And it, whether it's, and I'm not, uh, it, it's kind of our cultural basis. We are a Mennonite community. My parents were immigrants from Scotland, but this whole concept of barn building is very important in our community. And, and the premises, if, if you know that the Mennonite community or the, if a, you know, if a, if a neighbor's barn burns down, then um, the community gets together on Saturday and rebuilds the barn and they work on it collectively and collaboratively. And we're, we're to, a, to a fault sometimes open about the success. And maybe it's because we're big enough to compete with places like Toronto, but we don't want to be left behind. So I, we th I think as a group, if we work collectively and we, we raise it up and we, we, we really give a shit about everyone else doing well, it, it just seems to work. And as a result of that, I can have access to people that I've built by helping them out or listening to them or whatever. But uh, it, it's, it's approachable in the sense that I can get those that I need to know are those that need to help me or someone I can help very quickly, almost on speed dial. So it's small enough that that we know each other. It's big enough that we're not all first cousins, but we're not uh, <laughs> we're not uh, we're not so big that we get lost. So we can we can navigate through, and we truly are a, a group of individuals that are cheerleaders for each other's success in this community. And it's it's a, it's a special special place. I wish it had mountains. I wish it had a, a lake. It doesn't. But I think all things being equal, it's an eight. Not a seven. It's a, it's an eight or nine out of ten, and uh, I think it, it is what it is, and it's uh, it's a great place to be. It's such a unique and cool community. I like every time that I would I would come come down for for the events or you know for meetings and stuff. I or I feel like I'd learn so much more about it and kind of just like get more of a sense of of what makes it so special. And like you said, it, it's the people and those connections. And so outside of work in the communities that you're building, are there any other communities that you're part of? Uh, yeah. Again, I, I, I've been extricating myself from some of the things that uh, I don't know if I'm going to go to any more networking events other than fuck up nights. I used to go out a lot and there was a lot of events. And, and again, as an introvert, I'd be I'd get there. I had, a, I had an exit plan. I always drove myself so I could, you know, I could just do the uh, French exit and just leave. But I'm but I'm always uh, I'm always cognizant of where's the door and when can I leave? Um, but uh, the business community is obviously important and, and I work uh, a lot with people and I'm always there to assist people. We have a really amazing neighborhood that I live in, and it sounds so crazy, but it it really is all, it's so unique, and we call it Midtown. We've hijacked the name, but there's a bunch of people in this community that uh, are really doing well, 
collectively and they've become very good friends part of a fitness community so i take i try to take care of myself as more, as much as possible but of, of interest lately i started volunteering at a covid vaccination clinic in uh, in waterloo a little over a month ago and i'm getting so much out of this experience by helping people navigate getting a vaccine for for this shitty pandemic and giving them being part of a I'm not giving the vaccine myself I'm literally telling people go there go here but uh, reading people's people's eyes everyone's masked up and um, just looking at the relief or the enthusiasm or the the emotion that's that that's happening as a result of getting this vaccine and maybe being able to hug their children or maybe be able to see their grandchildren again or, or get together with a parent that's in a home has been incredibly rewarding, more so than I ever thought. It's uh, it's just, it, I, I, I crave going there. I can be on a, you know, I was on a call this morning with Saudi Arabia. I have another call this afternoon with California. But at 4.30, I put my orange volunteer shirt on and I stand and do whatever they need me to do to assist people to get on the other side of this fucking pandemic. That's amazing. It's, it, that just sounds so meaningful. And you seem to be like absolutely the perfect person for that sort of role. And I'm sure a lot of people who are coming through just like being in the community where you are, they recognize you, right? And it's probably really helpful for them to see like a familiar face. I hope so. Again, I, I'm getting a lot out of it. I, I hope they are. But I will do, I'll do anything from helping people. So it's interesting. It's changed a lot. So when we first started, it was over 80 uh, and it was cool. So you add in mobility and sweaters and coats and mitts and hats, and it just took, everything took longer. Navigating for those individuals with elderly parents and grandparents, it's not easy to not to, to leave your place of comfort and go somewhere to a new place and get moved through a series of different stations to get a vaccination and then wait and, and leave. As the as the demographics are getting younger now because of age and you know different things, it's really getting a lot easier. And there's a little bit less. Uh, it's more enjoyable than it was, but at the same time, that first series of, of events were so critically important. You know, the, the older people would show up, they'd do a drive-by the day before to see where they had to park, and they would show up two hours early for, you know, and we'd say, come on in, we'll get you in early. But while we were told not to come early, but we didn't know how long it would take to get from Kitchener to Waterloo, it's seven minutes, but they would take, you know, they get there two hours early. So it is, thank you, it is it is incredibly rewarding and, and emotional. That's amazing. And it's also, it's just like, you're, you're part of the solution, and you're part of seeing that light at the end of the tunnel. And I think, you know, a lot of folks in Canada, like it's tough. I think like watching our, our neighbors to the south and, you know, other countries that are opening up a lot um, faster than us. But I think, you know, like for you to be volunteering and to be seeing that, you know, things are actually happening and that must be really great for, for, for your peace of mind as well. So this is a little bit of a strange question, but love asking it and hearing people's responses. When it comes to choosing your people, you know, like the five to six people that you spend the most time with, how do you sort of choose them? Do you look for certain qualities or like is there anything that kind of you feel kind of like unites you yeah there is and this could this might come across as a little harsh <laughs> i'm willing to listen 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 uh, i mentioned that earlier that uh, I, I really give a shit about what other people care about but when that gets abused and it becomes one-sided and you know i can go four or five introductory meetings but if they don't ask me some of the questions that you've asked me today and don't show an interest in me they're not my people it has to be reciprocal. There, there is so far too many people that are takers and I just get frustrated. So often my wife will say, why don't we see them anymore? And I say, because they never asked me what I'm up to. They never asked me what we're up to. They just talk about themselves and hey, call me an asshole. I'm cool with it. But to, to me, that, uh, 
It's so important that it's not 50-50 reciprocal, but periodically there has to be a check-in from the person on the other side to give a shit about what's important to me. And if, if I don't have it, I see right through it and I literally just stop. That's that's amazing. I don't think there's anything that makes you an asshole in in that respect. Like maybe it's my delivery when they finally say, "Do we get together?" and I go, "No." Yeah, you know what? I respect that. I think a lot of people like it's it's hard to kind of end a friendship, right? It's so different. Like with a relationship, you end it, you break up. But with a friendship, you know, it's tough. Like you almost like people try to kind of phase it out. But I I think it's great to be direct, and I, I hope that I can get there one day too. But is it a friendship? I guess that's the question. Or is it an acquaintanceship? And what is the def- what is the definition. We talk about the definition of success or failure, but what is a friend? You know, I know there's people out there that have got my back and, uh, and it, it's, uh, it's amazing. But uh, yeah, if, if, it, if they don't, uh, they don't choose me back, it's not going to work. Yeah, well, I think you just defined it right there. It's really a friendship is reciprocal and you choose each other. I love that. So my last question for you, and I ask this of everybody on the podcast, what does the word community mean to you? You know, it's a funny thinking about this, because I've been following and listening in on your podcast. And I mean, community can have such a vast uh, variations as it relates to definition, but I and it can be a thing like water region, it could be, you know, those that believe in fitness, or those that believe in bettering themselves, or those that like craft beer, whatever. But I think it's, um, I think it's a community where the uh, there's a group of individuals with a common interest, and it can be divisive, if need be, but it's understanding the, the empathy and caring about the group and the whole uh, rises up above the, the the need of those individuals. And when you can get a group of people that care about something um, and respect all the other people that are part of it, then I think you've got the definitions of a, uh, of a of an incredible community. That's a great definition. I love that. Awesome. Jeff, thank you so much for joining me today on the show. This was such a great conversation as always. My pleasure. Thanks for uh, letting me talk and listen. I appreciate it. I had such a great time chatting with Jeff, and I hope you felt inspired by the conversation. You can connect with Jeff on LinkedIn at Jeff McIntyre, and you can learn more about the Kitchener-Waterloo chapter of Fuck Up Nights on Instagram and Twitter at Fuck Up Nights KW. Thanks for tuning in to Create Community, a podcast where I chat with incredible community builders to define what community truly means. You can check out the series on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you normally listen. Please remember to subscribe and leave us a rating and review. I'd really love to hear your feedback. You can also follow us on Instagram at createcommunitypod or check out our website at createcommunitypod.com for updates. Once again, I'm Marsha Drucker, your host, signing off. A huge thank you to Origins Media House for producing this series. You can find them at originsmediahouse.com, where house is spelled H-A-U-S, or on LinkedIn and Instagram at Origins Media House and Twitter at Origins Media. 